This is a Podcast 225 production. Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Up and Adam with episode 159, 159 of the Clay Young Show here on Podcast 225.com, iTunes, and also available on the Talk 107.3 mobile app. Hopefully you're having a very good day wherever you are. Thanks for being here. Almost 160 episodes in, man, and that that's pretty good. That's pretty good. 2018 is flying by. Man, as we sit here, we're on the back end of April. Tax season, thank God, has gone by, but also a period I hate every year. There are a few of them like that. But man, this year is smoking along. We are in the midst of all of the political drama that's happening both in Washington and here in Louisiana. And that is going to be a big part of the discussion today. I always enjoy talking politics with people who are in it and in the know. And I'm, I've always been fascinated by the process and how the bread is baked, as they say. And our guest on the show today is WAFB reporter Kevin Fry, who is the Capitol reporter for them and spends a great number of hours immersing himself in the business of Louisiana government, and I am looking forward to that conversation. He is also getting ready to leave and go on to something that is similar to what he is doing here, uh, basically the same thing, but doing it on a larger scale in Washington, D.C., and we'll ask him about that on the uh, discussion part of the show. So looking forward to that. Kevin Fry, you'll get a chance to get inside of his head and hear about what he sees there behind the scenes at the Capitol. He'll get a chance to sign the door <laughs> that is filling up with signatures here. At some point, I'm going to have to get these counted. I mean, it's it's very, very full. And if you keep up with posts on social media about the show, you see people signing it. Tara Wicker signed it last week. And now people are having to go towards the bottom. I've got another door in here leading into a file room. And maybe we'll start getting people to sign that. And, uh, of course, we're going to talk about Smoke'em, right? The 2018 edition of Smoke'em, if you got them. It takes place on Sunday, May 20th at 5 p.m. at Ben 77 Bistro. Presented by Mockler Beverage in association with Ben 77. Geico, Pestop your do-it-yourself pest control solution, Inter- insurance procurement services, and, of course, Clay Young Enterprises. A lot of great surprises there. Don Juan Cigar is also a sponsor of the event, and, man, it is going to be a great one. We've got so much planned for you. I've been talking to people about it. Coming up tickets are going to be available online, and you, you can get yours early. And, of course, as you know, you can get them at the door. This year's event for the third, and, and which will likely be the, maybe the final time, will benefit the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation. Taya Kyle will be in town for that, so we're hoping that you will come out and meet her. And she was there last year, and it was such a delight. She is a great personality She's so friendly and just uh, social with everyone who was there. So you'll get a chance to meet Taya at the event. So I hope to see you there for it as well. 
Let's take a quick break and come right back with our conversation with Kevin Fry, reporter at WAFB-TV. Back with that in just a moment. Promote your business or organization on Podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. You know, this time of year, most people enjoy South Louisiana weather in the evenings, being outside. And one of the only things that could ruin that is a mosquito bite. They're painful and they're not so great for your kids. John Conroy, the founder and owner of PestOp, your do-it-yourself pest control solution, can help you eliminate the problem, correct? We really can. We've, we have a couple of products. We have these handheld foggers mm-hmm. uh, that you can, Love those things. Oh, yeah, they're cool. You can put them on the patio and just hit this little remote button, and there it goes go. off for a few seconds, mm-hmm. and the wind kind of pushes it around. Yep. We also have a liquid that is a synthetic pyrethroid that you apply on the lawn, and most important application is going to be the underside of the leaves of your shrubbery. Okay, okay. And it can last up to three months between applications. Okay, so in the Baton Rouge area, we're outside a lot. How can I buy this? Well, combined see us. Our store is located at 806 O'Neill Lane. That's about a block south of Old Hammond Highway. Or give us a call with questions at 273-4788. Visit the showroom, get the information at Pest Stop. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. Back with Kevin Fry, Capital Reporter for WAFB-TV in Baton Rouge, at least for the next 20 minutes, and then he's going to catch the first thing smoking out of Louisiana. <laughs> What's going on, man? Hi, uh, how you doing? <laughs> maybe, a little longer, maybe a little longer than 20 minutes, right? <laughs> a little bit, a couple more days. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, let's start there. I mean, it's the cat's out of the bag on social media that you will be leaving the Channel 9 family coming up here, and... Going somewhere else, I'll leave it to you to tell our listeners when you're leaving and where you're going. Yeah, so it's uh, it, it's kind of all happening very quickly. But yes, uh, next Wednesday is my official last day. Which is the 25th as we record this. Yes, thank you. I'm, I'm not used to the podcasting world where everything is kind of, it can be listened to later. Anyway, the, right. um, so uh, the 25th would be my last day. I am, uh, which it's kind of all very shocking that it's all yeah. coming to an end. I've really enjoyed my time at WAFB, and it's it's hard leaving mid-session because right. it is such my passion. Right. Um, but I am heading to a new job up in Washington, D.C. I'll be working for a small cable company that has some stations in mm-hmm. several states mm-hmm. uh, called uh, Spectrum Cable. And um, I'll be one of the Capitol reporters there covering Congress, and so I'll be covering one of the congressional delegations yet to be determined. But it'll allow wow. me to kind of do a nice little twist of localizing and also by doing some national stuff and I hopefully will not be tri- uh, chasing what Trump tweets every single day. <laughs> well, good luck so that, with that. That seems to determine a lot of the <laughs> yeah. news as of late. Well, you know, it's it's interesting. So, this is and this seems like a natural progression from local coverage of a state capital to being in a pool that soon puts you on the cable net which I'm assuming is a goal of yours to get to one of the one of the big networks or or no. I would say one of the networks. I'm I always have mixed feelings and I should probably not say this publicly because this could come back to haunt me, but I always have some mixed feelings about cable networks um, or cable cable channels because well, so. it, it's become such a just a talking points center that there's really mm. not a lot of 
Uh, you don't see packages. You mean much a cesspool anymore. of foolishness? Uh, I wouldn't go that far, but yeah. yes, um, yeah. you don't see a lot of uh, packages or, yeah. or in-depth reporting where you can really explain an mm-hmm. issue. You can have a really fruitful conversation. Unfortunately, that just doesn't always happen, or mm-hmm. at least falls back to the conversations you're expecting to hear, yeah. uh, which just isn't really, I think, very helpful to anyone. No. It causes more harm than good most of the time when I'm watching stories that are filled with only innuendo or rumor or unproven fact or all these things and then they become stories. It's like, well, wait a minute. Where was the where was the story? Well, and and there's so much hype that it kind of you get lost in all of that, that I'm not saying you shouldn't be concerned about certain things. But if you're crying wolf wolf all day long, it kind of loses the impact, especially if you're just repeating yourself ad nauseum. And so I I grew up and um, as a person who would rush home from high school because I am a nerd, let's put that out there on the table, um, would rush home from high school and would uh, immediately turn on Charles Gibson. And that yeah. was just kind of my way of getting yeah. into the evening. And I, I just, I've, I've always been kind of a network news junkie yeah. for whatever yeah. reason. Yeah. I just like that it kind of, we give you a package at the end of the day and this sure. is what it is. This is, this is a look at the world or that's the way it is, as Walter Cronkite used to say. Not that that's always necessarily a good thing, but, right. uh, uh, it, at least it feels like it's more thought was put into it. Well, where'd you grow up? <clears throat> Forgive me. Um, I grew up in uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. about an hour and a half west of Philly. Um, it is perhaps best known for being Amish country. Um, ah. I am not Amish, mm. but it is beautiful. Yeah, I picked up on that. <laughs> my, my iPhone in my hand. It is beautiful country um, and just rolling hills and farmland, but also this nice cultural center in downtown uh, Lancaster that is, is is actually kind of a growing city that they've redeveloped a lot of downtown mm-hmm. uh, nice shops and restaurants and whatnot and it's always nice to go back to see that they really have turned a lot of things around yeah. what it was when I was not that I'm very old but when I was really young <laughs> and you went to college where uh, I went to school at George Washington University in DC yeah um, which so I'm I was in DC for four years I came to Baton Rouge for three years um, and delved into the the world of politics which was always um, it just kind of a fortuitous happenstance that I got yeah. here as our other reporter was leaving and I yeah. was able to take over and it was just kind of it all fell into place and I've loved every moment that I've gotten to spend there and so now I'll be going back to DC. You know, I've been in both capitals, mm-hmm. the state capital here, I've been to Washington and I tell people that outside of Washington DC, the most fascinating place in America to cover politics is in Louisiana uh, because of some of what our constitution still has in it, the state mm-hmm. constitution. I mean, it, it it goes back to 1974. So, and the way we operate as a government, it's fascinating, and you get to see it. And the the showmanship of politics that is so old school and right. yet so gone in so many places because it's almost an anachronism, you know. Right. But here. The showmanship still goes. Very much so. And I think that's something that I'm going to miss a lot is there is a very raw authenticity to a lot of what happens at the Louisiana Capitol, whereas things in Washington can be very canned or predictable. Um, There is is still, for me, and this again goes back to that nerdy concept, going into committee and all of a sudden you see someone votes not the way you anticipated this going down. Mm -hmm. It's just really exciting and kind of interesting to watch and understand the mechanisms that are going on behind the scenes. Um, And there's just something about state government that that is very responsive to the people, or maybe yeah. not responsive, but at least interactive with the people, that you yeah. can feel that there's actually a tangential impact, that sometimes you can it, you could be fearful that maybe Washington is losing in some sense of it. Well, way. Louisiana only has about four and a half million people, right. and the representatives are so tied to their constituents. I mean, you've only got 105 men and women who represent the House. Was it 39, uh, uh, 37, 39 in the, in the Senate? And 
people here see their representatives on a regular basis. I mean, I know representatives who move to move around regularly in town right. and do things. And so when you see them on television, it's not like seeing someone in Washington, D.C. who may represent you and you never really get to meet. And, and maybe this is just a bad comparison because I was in I grew up in Pennsylvania, so I didn't interact with the political scene as yeah. much as opposed to here where it's my full time job. Mm-hmm. But in Pennsylvania, by just simple comparison, politics is not like this in, in Pennsylvania in terms of you you seeing politicians all sure. the time. They are part of your lifestyle. Yeah. And again, maybe I'm just blinded by the fact that this is what I do every day. Mm-hmm. But you see the local representatives, Ted James, C.G. Marcel, Pat mm-hmm. Smith, in so many different forums here mm-hmm. that it's just part of the way of being. They are so it, it, part of the community that I think is something that I, I've just never experienced before. It's and, really extraordinary. And, and involving themselves often in areas of politics and government that are not on the legislative level, correct. From and city goes, council politics, yeah, to school politics, and and it's it's so interesting. You know, the f- oh, gosh, I can't remember the first time I was in the Capitol. How it's been a long time ago. I don't know. It's a lot of years, but I remember the experience of being there. Maybe not so much when, but watching it. First of all, the building is steeped oh, in history. An amazing. I always. I walk in there every day for months on end, but it's still just always a little awe-inspiring to it is. walk into Memorial Hall it is. and see just the grandeur of the, the fresco right. and the paintings. And is, when, you, when you walk into the U.S. Capitol, there is a similar feeling, but it's it's kind of... Oh, I'm sorry. I thought we were talking about state. I apologize. No, 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 no. No, we are talking about state. Okay. What I was going to say is the difference between the D.C. Capitol and the state Capitol is the D.C. Capitol has a little... A little touristy feel to it if mm-hmm. I could say that I mean it's 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 august with all the history right. and everything but it's kind of touristy you know because you see it so much on television well, and there's and such a visit there's literally a visitor center that's that right. is the main entrance when you walk into the Louisiana capital everything from the smell of the old wood mm-hmm. uh, the shine of the marble floors to the history that's on the wall and people moving around in there it is it is very very different it's lived in yeah it's lived in and so for you being in there, what has been the what's been the biggest thing that you will take away with you? Not so much from the from the process of politics, but mm-hmm. just the building and what happens there. What's the biggest takeaway? Oh God, that's a hard question. Um, I, I think it has, in some respects, and maybe I'm not answering the question that you want me to, but I, it, it has given me a greater respect for. I'm, now I'm answering the way you didn't want me to. But it gives me more of a respect for the process. Mm-hmm. There is something really amazing about watching it play out. And it's something that I don't think everybody fully understands. And I th- right. I think there are people that still don't get the whole concept of how a bill becomes a law. And half of what I do some days on air, I think, is just giving a civics 101 mm-hmm. lesson. Right. Um, uh, this is Now this bill goes to the House floor because this is the next step. But there, it's just something remarkable about the process of that, the, the democracy that mm-hmm. is, that... It's rough and tumble. It's terrible. It's awful. But at the same time, it is a process. Right. And it it sometimes works. Yeah. It's painful. It's yeah. long. It's frustrating. Yeah. But there's something beautiful about it at the same time that yeah. somehow it works. Um. And and so I think in that sense, I will I love that about it. And that's part of the reason I love my job. But it's also because I love the ability to look at these issues and know that I can tie them to, oh, I see why they're doing this. This is why this lawmaker is thinking this way or why they're bringing this bill or how that interacts. And so that's just fun for me to be able to do that. Um, 
<laughs> but in general, I think I'm just going to miss the people in that building. And I think that comes down to what it is. There is an authenticity to being able to, and I remember my first couple of days on the job, I was so, it was so foreign to me that you could just grab a politician by oh, yeah. the hand and yeah. just be like, I need to talk yeah. to you. Can't because, do that in Washington. No, because I was, when I did internships on the Hill covering for various outlets, I, I was so used to going through your aunt, your uncle, your mm-hmm. handler, and your, mm-hmm. your chief of staff to even mm-hmm. get to talk to the person you want to, as opposed to, I could just grab Ted James by the hand right. and say, hey man, I need to grab yeah. you about this. And he knows you because right. he shops what you're doing on television. Right. And and the nice thing about the job that I have is with Raycom, we have stations in a lot of different mm-hmm. parts of the state, and so politicians that I have only talked to once or twice are like, I see you every morning on TV, and I'm like, that's right. a little frightening, but right. yes, I can right. help you. I can get information back well, to your folks. Packages from here run in Shreveport, obviously, because there's a station there. We I have do business. There. We have uh, KPLC and right. like Charles, and we also have VUE in uh, New Orleans. So oh, it's, yeah. it's been very, that's a blessing in many, many ways. Well, it is. I mean, like I said, I've seen the packages up there when I'm there on business, you know, catch the morning news. It's mm-hmm. probably the most consistent news that I watch is morning just to start the yeah. day. And then I'll catch things during the day. And with all of these digital platforms, the era of having to wait until 6 o'clock or 10 o'clock to find out what's going on, that's all over with now. I live on Twitter, um, and, yeah. and most of the reporters at the Capitol yep. do. Yep. Um, yep. If you're yep. ever wondering what's going on, hashtag LA Ledge is your way to follow <laughs> That's exactly that. right. And um, But it, 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 I fuel that first before I even talk to the folks back mm-hmm. in the newsroom, and then sometimes the folks back in the newsroom, if they want to know what I'm focusing on, yeah. that's where they can go, because they will get my instant updates throughout the day. Well, you know, and, and so I, I kind of... I get into the the weeds and can be wonky on some of this stuff too, which is, you know, a, a little bit of a part of what I do. But yeah. I, that there's a nastiness to politics too that also repels me uh-huh. uh, because of some of what it can be that the public will never see. And and I, and I want to ask this: talk about a bill, okay? So, and this is the thing that so fascinates me about the wonderful nature of our democracy. Mm-hmm. Someone has an idea right. about how to impact the public or some right. process they'd like to change governmentally. And then that idea makes its way to paper. Correct. And then that idea, because this person is in the legislature, becomes an agenda item in one of various committees where those kinds of issues are talked about. Right. And that person gets to present that idea and then lobby his or her colleagues on the merits of said bill. Right. And if they can get agreement in that group, they get to go to their larger pool Correct. of colleagues with this idea and then lobby and talk about this. And then if that works and if the other chamber agrees with it, that idea goes into law and becomes a reality. Provided the governor doesn't veto. Provided the governor doesn't veto. That is so fascinating, mm-hmm. and I think it is so underappreciated right. that, that that's the power of the people we send there. An idea, mm-hmm. just you speak it almost into existence, do the work, and there it is. Talk a little bit about that, because you get to see that every day. Well, and they have incredible staffs that can turn anything that you want into a into a law, and, yeah. and it's sometimes amusing, I will be honest that sometimes, sometimes you talk, amusing well as sometimes you talk to politicians and they don't necessarily know what their bills do because and that's the other thing 
you have lawmakers that do bring ideas, <laughs> that do genuinely bring ideas, but then you also have lobbyists and different uh, groups that come to a lawmaker, say, we want this, and then they hand it to them, mm-hmm. and then the lawmaker says, all so right, somebody else's idea. <laughs> and then they have to represent it, even though they right. don't fully know what's going on. Right. And that's why sometimes you see lobbyists presenting bills on behalf of, right. of uh, re- representatives not even in the room, right? Um, which does, believe it or not, actually happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is kind of part of the mix in all of this. And then there... Um, so that is that's one of the parts of the process, and but there is something magical about watching little nuances in right. words, and this is where I'm a nerd, and this is stuff that yeah. never appears yeah. on television, yeah. but like stuff that I tweet about because right. to me this is fascinating. Um, like one or two words are enough to make or break a bill, mm-hmm. and that sometimes does actually happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and but it all comes down to these little tiny little nuances, which is what is magical about the process because you have to find compromise if they get to that point, which right. doesn't always happen in, right. this, in that building anymore. Um, but at least those conversations can happen. But the, just the part of the reason I think I've already said this, that I do love what I get to do is I get to watch it. And I didn't mm-hmm. think I would love to watch it. And I, I was talking to one of my photographers one time. He's like, you're not really a person who likes just the the horse race. And I, I mean, I admittedly, I will. I like politics. I like election politics. I find them interesting. But for me, really, the process, for whatever reason, the little yeah. policy stuff yeah. is what I find really amusing, which is probably does not necessarily lend itself to television all the time. But no, I think it does. But it's really fun to do that sort of stuff, to try to pry it apart and explain this is what a bill does, rather than, oh my God, this is what this bill does, uh, uh, marijuana, everyone's going sure. to die. No, this is what we're doing. And so... It, it, I, I use that as an example because sure. some people, yeah. we, we even have a case where a lawmaker cited a false news report be, freaking out about people dying from marijuana, um, which was not an actual actual report, but did come up in committee. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but the, the process is just really remarkable. It's interesting because I agree with you about the process and everything. First of all, there's so much of it that's pro forma that's just kind of... Oh, it is. And you it, go into committees and people already know what they're right, voting for and right. how they're going to vote. Right. But, and there's also the question of if we were not in the room with a camera pointed in their face and there weren't 15, okay, 15 is being a bit generous, five members of the press there sitting and watching because unfortunately the press corps is kind of small. Um, Things would move faster. Things would move faster. A lot less grandstanding. Less grandstanding. Um, And if no one was watching the House floor on budget Mm -hmm. debate days, you know they'd be done in about five minutes. Um, But there is, yeah, there's a performance, performative art to it all. And it's interesting when you talk about elections when I just had this conversation with someone a couple of days ago about candidates running for office. And, you know, you get there are categories of people who come in with a candidate and they hand them a script and they'd like to turn them into an actor and someone who performs a dialogue in front of a camera or in front of a committee. It has always been my philosophy that the best person you could be is the person you already are. And you just want to have an enhanced version of that. You want to become knowledgeable of what area is, you know, of of concern that is most pertinent to the office you're running for. And then when you go out and you're having a dialogue and you're comfortable in your own skin and you're knowledgeable, you don't have to fake it. Right. Because it is so often found, especially in this era of of media, that people who fake it could get caught. Because, you know, when the handlers are not around or the or the staff is not around to whisper into your... Yeah. And so I'm sure you've sat with people... And without naming any names, obviously, I wouldn't do that to you, uh, at least not on the air. But (laughs) I'm sure there are times you're sitting with or talking with someone and you're going, oh, dear God, 
he or she doesn't know what the hell they're talking about. Oh, oh, yeah, that that, that does happen with politicians quite a lot. Um, and, and God love them, you just kind of keep moving the conversation right. along, and right. uh, and have the time at that point. You're you might be off the record, and right. the most fun thing in the world to do as a reporter is go off the record and start throwing f bombs around because yeah. they will tell you anything. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and so when you do that, that's when they know it's off the record. Right? I, I said that to a politician once because I, I asked what the what the f is going on, and and she and we were talking. Well, you know, there are no, no FCC regulations. I no, but so. I, I feel uncomfortable saying this in case my mother listens. But the um, not that she would be able to find this podcast. But the um, I, I I asked that, and, and we were talking for a little bit. And she's like, "This is off the record." I'm like, "As soon as I said that question that way, we were off the record. Don't you worry. We're moving on. You can say whatever you want." <laughs> okay, so the most entertaining politician that you've run across there. Ah, uh, oh God. Um, by the way, your mom can find this podcast. Yeah, I, she can Google it. <laughs> that is true. Go back. Uh, I don't think she would know how to listen to it. That's the other <laughs> issue. She does not have an iPhone, but the uh, or or any other podcasting device. And uh, the, uh, the most entertaining politician. Oh God. It, it, there's so con- many various con- categories. Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, there's different I mean, categories okay. of entertaining. O- over the top one, personality. Over the top personality. I, I think. Well, let me let me go back to entertaining. I would say Barbara Norton is probably oh, up in man. there somewhere. Yes, because I gotta love Barbara Norton um, from Caddo up in North Louisiana. There is just something wonderful about her. Um, and and my one friend who is a, a fellow reporter, we we. Um, we will tweet, or we want to tweet. We'll text uh, Barbara Norton isms to each other. Um, it, it, there's just something <laughs> remarkable about watching her in committee. Man. She actually had an entertaining day the other day. She was in criminal justice, uh, was on the committee, and uh, she wanted to make a comment. And the chairman was kind of like, "I don't know that we need to do this." Um, and so eventually, he let her talk and said, "You only have a couple seconds." And so she was making her point, and then the chairman got up and walked away, and he was over in the corner talking, and she's finished what she was talking about, and she looked over, and she's like, oh, he's not in the chair. So she kept talking, <laughs> and I, the whole room just kind of buzzed out laughing. Um, I think there are, um, I'm trying to think who else is really entertaining. J.P. Morrell has just a very quick wit. I love listening to yeah. him talk. Um, in the house, who else is really, really smart and quick? Trying to think. Oh, there's quick-witted people. I should be able to come up with more off the top of my head. I, and I'll, I'll probably think of more later on. But those are Senate? those are some of my favorites. Um, in the Senate, well, I, I said JP Karen Carter Peterson is interesting to watch yeah. because uh, she is She's very when she is at the podium. She yeah. is very very good. John Hilario has a dry wit John that cannot Hilario. be matched. No. And uh, he's the encyclopedia of the Senate right exactly. now. Exactly. Yeah. And if you get him going, or if you listen to little things he says off to the side to people, yeah. there is just like a knife turning yep. occasionally in what he says, and it's yep. just glorious. He won't tell it to you in person, right. but if, if you listen to some of the things he says about other politicians, uh, it's quite entertaining. Um, there was one other person I was thinking of. Oh, um, Lafleur also has a way of, of just kind of in, in finance, just kind of mocking and making fun, of course, when he's not speaking in French, at which point I'm lost. Right. My favorite chairman, though, I think... In in all uh, all in all, is probably <coughs> forgive me, um, probably Dan Clater. Dan Clater, because the way he runs a committee, which every bill he introduces with, what does your bill do and why do we need it? Straight to the point, bang bang bang, moving along. There's just something remarkable about that because there is so. I mean, it, it it's like trying to dress down the issue and get away yeah. from the showmanship and yeah. just say, okay, wh- what are you doing? Right. Why do we need this? Right. And there's just something when he runs committee, I just enjoy watching it because he's very just matter of fact, moving on. And he's got, he's also got a dry wit. Uh huh. Also that, another person like that. There's a lot of them. In the quite center. frankly, in in Clater's case, if you're not really paying attention, you will not only miss the joke, you will never know. That 
that there was a joke. I, I, I caught him one time in committee and started bust out laughing, and the entire committee tilted their heads and looked at me, and I was like, oh, sorry, go back. Nobody go else caught business. that joke, right? <laughs> it was an inside joke that I had heard about before from other reporters, so I was kind of keen on it, but I was like, oh. <laughs> so, okay, let's, let's get down to, well, well, before we do that, you know the, the fascinating personality of Taylor Barra? Yeah. Speaker of the House. He is a fascinating personality. Banker uh, by trade. Right. Very unassuming kind of guy. Talk about Speaker Barra. Unassuming is correct. And he is not one of those people at the stand that really has... He occasionally makes a somewhat uh, funny remark, Mm -hmm. kind of a mocking remark, but he does not have that over-the-top personality that you sometimes need in a politician, particularly in a position like that, to keep everyone together and corral them. And so there's not a lot of... Uh, let's be honest, there's just seemingly not a lot of control there. Right. Um, there's a lot of chairmen, particularly Chairman Henry, that kind of run things, it seems, at least behind the scenes, as mm-hmm. well as Lance Harris, the head of the GOP caucus. Um, and, and so he is this unassuming personality. And and there have been accusations against him in the past from the governor and others that he backs out on deals because he's not as committed and not as uh, <clears throat> solid in in those positions mm-hmm. when, you, when he leaves them. And so he has presented himself in this way of kind of just being, uh, he has been described as a puppet in some sense, if we're being completely honest. Puppet of whom? Uh, the uh, kind of the extreme right end of the, the house, which is now kind of a, a, por- a large portion of the body, or at least a third of the body. But at the same time, you could say he's representing those people and yeah. he's doing what they're, he's doing what his faction of the party wants. And so there's the, it's all residual effect left over from the fact that he was appointed and not Walt Leger and not Cameron Henry, who were right. kind of the two buckling heads. Yep. And so you have this man in the middle who's kind of sometimes stuck trying to figure out what exactly to do. Um, and so he, he is in a very tough, awkward position. Well, you know, he's running through a, a werewolf pen with barbecue sauce spread all over him in politics because, you know, people are licking their chops to get that spot. Right. And so you have that aspect going on because you have uh, and there have been ta- several times there has been talk behind the scenes of possibly usurping and, and yeah. kicking him out and replacing An ouster. him. Yeah. Um, and then there's the question of who would who would replace him. And yeah. I have heard from politicians uh, it, speaking to them on background that part of the problem is that they would be willing to vote to get him out of office or get him out of that position, but they also do, they want to be the one named to replace him, right. and they won't vote unless they're the one that's on the calling card. And so it's kind of this awkward position where there's enough of a, I, I need to be the one to replace him, that mm-hmm. not enough people are willing to vote. There are so many great things that happen at the Capitol. Having said that, some of the juvenile foolishness that goes on. And we've had a lot of that. A lot really. of it. The name-calling the who's at the cool table kind of crap, mm-hmm. all of that that goes on that gets in the way Especially of the in the process. House. Especially well, in yeah, the house. because the House has so much power. I mean, the House can craft its own budget and give it to Governor Edwards and say, okay, we're not, we don't like what you're doing. Right. We're going to build our own budget. That lo- The Louisiana House can literally do that, folks. Give him a budget, and depending on the time left on the clock before you have to have the bu- budget balanced, can likely get a lot of what they want. Right. Now, now, also, it, it's, it demands saying that the Senate could do the same thing. They yeah, well, just blow at, the whole well, thing up. Sure. And so, but the House, in some sense, can hold everyone hostage, or the, the Senate can hold everyone. I mean, everyone can hold each right. other hostage over this whole situation. Um, but in the House in particular, there's just such an abundance of personalities and yeah. factions that are continuing yeah. to divide. Uh, you saw during the special session that wrapped up in, I don't even know what month we're in anymore. Well, was, was it in March? I was going to ask you about that. Finish your thought, but I want to go back to that session and one particular thing that happened that no one seems to have paid attention and to. I don't know if this is what you were getting at, but the, the Black 
caucus yes! kind of exhibiting okay, its stop. own so, sense so of let, independence. Let's back away. That is the see. That's you know what, man. Great minds. I tell you what. <laughs> uh, so that was the most under discussed. Right now, you talked about it in a piece, and I think. I think, I think we, we did. Yeah, it. we talked about <laughs> we it because you came to the it. office. We did it. We did an interview for television about it, and so let's go to the beginning of that. Right. So this is there. Are, there's all the dickering that goes on because of the, you know, billion and a half dollar, you know, deficit that's Correct. there, and there's the negotiation well, about it. Billion is kind of the figure that they were working well, with well, at that well, point. Okay, but, billion dollars. And a large chunk of this is because of the penny that's going to go away. Correct. And that's going to create, what, almost 900, uh, you know, well, oh, uh, more than two-thirds of the deficit is because of that. Correct. And then there are some other things, too, these recurring things that we have never been able to yeah. fix. And so there are all of these things, and I know this is revisionist, but not everybody keeps up with this, so bear <laughs> with us. There are all of these ideas of how to close this Correct. This gap, you know, there is, you know, Speaker Barra and people saying we want more accountability on what we spend before we allow you to do this. Right. And then there is this issue. Let's cut right to it with the black caucus and the governor and where all of this shook out. Right. So there's a lot of different pl- pieces at play here. There is the sense that one, the black caucus is gaining its own independence, but mm-hmm. that is all, almost an offshoot of the ongoing underlying issue here in that there was a division over how to fill the hole. For those that were even open to the idea of filling part of the hole, there was which kind of method to take. There right. was changing the income tax um, and trying to sort of broaden that out and increase how much uh, certain, in, in, at least upper income middle class folks are paying. Then there's the other idea, backed by Republicans um, largely, to increase the penny, keep at least a portion of the penny. I think it came down to a half penny of the right. expiring penny of sales tax. Each half or each quarter penny is $220 million, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. float that around in your head. Because apparently you can tax a quarter penny. Anyway, um, the uh, so you have those kind of two disciplines at play. There is an ongoing residual thing, and this is because of multiple issues, including the fact that the state has no money. Um, over governors could use things like capital outlay to kind right. of incentivize right. people to go along with them. So mm-hmm. even if oh I have to make some tough votes, oh I don't want to do this, you can get something out of for your district. You can kind of help help your people, even though you're kind of doing things you don't. And that's necessarily ca- that's un- what he's saying. Capital outlay that you know money. Sorry, you can, yes, you can spend for like bridges and yes, roads and yes. projects, things of that nature. Yes. Sorry. Um, and when I start talking in technical, forgive me. But the um, no, no, we. I just want everybody in the room to so be able to keep up board. with where we are. Right. So that used to be kind of something that you could use, but the capital outlay is so back mm-hmm. backloaded and has no funding, and they're they're backlogged on projects that that's not really something that the governor can use anymore. So that's one part of the puzzle. So he can't kind of get his Democratic constituents to go along for the ride. Then there's the other thing that you have Democratic voters, particularly the African American group, because that's most of the Democrats mm-hmm. um, that can't. That, that are kind of getting frustrated with the governor compromising on certain issues, particularly including being open to using a portion of the penny during mm-hmm. the special session because that was part of the compromise. Right. They're tired of doing that. They say that hurts their constituents the most because regardless of who you are, you're paying the sales tax right. and it's a, more of your income if yeah. you don't make a lot of money. Right. Um, and so the Democrats got frustrated and that really became exhibited during this special session when they mm-hmm. were like, we can't do this anymore. We're tired of the governor kind of doing things that aren't necessarily, now they wouldn't say this publicly, but we're tired of the governor doing things that don't necessarily always support the Democrats and we have nothing really to show for it beyond that and we're tired of the Republicans kind of running ripshod and running this running this house. Um which the Republicans are in control. That is the nature of the beast. But it's kind of this different dynamic because unlike in the past, you have 
a speaker that is not in line with the governor. So there are a lot of it, it's a huge puzzle. But at the end of the day, the result was the Democrats, and particularly the Black Caucus, started exhibiting its own independence, which you combine all those votes that will not be voting for certain mm-hmm. taxes, plus the gang of no Republicans who won't be voting for any taxes, or at least in any particular plan. And then you lead to this implosion on the House floor, where it was it all came down to the explosion that was the end of the special session all yes. came down to what order the votes came in on right. a certain bill because right. both sides didn't trust the other side to right. vote for their bill. Right. The Democrats wanted to take up the income tax first because they didn't want to vote for the sales tax before that. The Republican who was on the House floor that was running the bill that <clears throat> sponsored the sales tax bill uh, would not listen despite to some, some of his own Republican colleagues saying, right. you have to do this the other way, you have to do the income tax uh, bill first, mm-hmm. decided to run his bill anyway. And then it died. And then the whole session was essentially over and half of the people on the crowd, and I know all the reporters were just kind of sitting there with their their, their uh, uh, chins Mouths on the gate, floor, yeah. just like, what just happened? Right. And you go out into the hall and you talk to this Republican, uh, Stephen Dwight from the Lake Charles region, and ask him, you had Julie Stokes telling you, um, uh, Stephen, if you don't do it in this order, it's not going to pass because the Democrats won't vote for it right now. They'll vote for it after the income tax. And he was like, I didn't know anything about that. I'm like, all the reporters did. So where were you? Um, and so there was these, these, all of these different machinations. But yeah. on the last day, it kind of just all imploded. And then they came back and tried again. And they tried right. again. And it was basically over in a moot point, And then they called it quits. And at that point, we had already had the bloodletting of Barry Ivey getting on the floor yeah. and saying that the... The only reason Republicans are voting against all this stuff is because they don't like the Democratic governor and they don't want him to be in office in the next term. And so there was just a lot of feelings and emotions that were put out in this special session. That That's $60,000 a, a day. day. Um, I think it ended up being fifty, but uh, don't ask me why. But the um, – and it, 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 it just kind of imploded from there. And so you had all of these harsh feelings. But then you even had during the session – there was the argument from a lot of Republicans – or at least the the gang of no that we don't know how big the shortfall is, and I know I'm just kind of going on a bunch of tangents. I, here. I do, I but, but, no, the, but you know this this is your tangents are all in context and they're sequential to the time because I want to go back to that because that was an early argument too from Republicans saying, "Hey, listen." We really don't know how deep this hole is. Right. And Conrad Appel over in the Senate was one of those that was kind of Mm -hmm. leading that cause. And I interviewed him one time about that. We don't know how officially big the hole is because they didn't have a revenue estimating conference committee to recognize the federal tax changes. That brought in over $300 to state coffers because... Did you know Louisiana's tax code is tied to the federal tax code? Mm-hmm. And so when federal taxes go down, you can't deduct as much from your state, and so your state taxes go up, and right. voila, Louisiana gets about $300-plus million more in its coffers. Right. And so they didn't know how big the hole would be. Would oil prices change things, all of these other factors? That um, is a fair position to take if it's based in reason. But if, if it's based in reason. But I asked Conrad Appel, senator from uh, Metairie, Republican, I asked him, okay— so even if, let's say best case scenario, you're getting $400, 500000000 million because of federal tax changes mm-hmm. and other things that change and the REC estimates, that still leaves you with a hole in the 400 to 500 range, 500, 400, 500 million range. Are you comfortable cutting that? Do you think you should pass something now so you're not just wasting a special session looking at each other and wasting the taxpayers' money? Should you pass something now to try to get at least fill in a part of that hole? Mm-hmm. And even he acknowledged, well, yeah, probably would not be a bad idea to get something done. Well, and and but it goes back <gasps> to the sides not always talking to one mm-hmm. another. Now, contrary to popular belief, 
members of the the different parties do dialogue. Oh yeah, and they do laugh and joke together on the floor more a than lot. more than you would think because most of it is not when business is going on, so that's not likely going to make television. But in between votes, and you see them fraternizing oh, yeah. together, and so. And they even are getting friends. along. They are friends getting along. Were you in the committee when, uh, just had a brain fart, when the two, uh, uh, God, there was a debate over some bill, a representative from New Orleans, God, and he made, he, he made a racial or, or said that something had more of a racial impact or more of an impact on African-Americans in New Orleans than anyone else. And uh, he was called, he was, you know, I, I believe it was Joe Bowie. Was it Joe Bowie and uh, Conrad Appel? I yes, could be, I could be misnaming. I think I, I think it was Appel, uh, and I got to find the audio. I have it. I had it somewhere, and I watched it anyway. The, the The point of the question was: What's the most heated exchange that you've ever seen? That one would probably be in, in terms of yelling because yeah. we had actual yelling in a committee room and. <clears throat> Both a little sides. swearing going on there, too. A little too, bit though. of swearing yeah. um, did slip in. But it was over, um, if I can remember correctly, charter schools, I think. And yes. And whether or not there was funding. That's right. Um, well, and it was, the bill had something to do with you had to have an audit of a charter right. school before you could open it because you wanted to see if it was doing the right academic stuff and whether or not it was financially stable. But I think this was more of a uh, performance audit as opposed to a financial audit. But it created this requirement. So it would create an additional bar- barrier to open up and opening up a charter school. And part of the argument was, I think, if I remember correctly, um, that the, the Democrat from New Orleans was basically saying, we're busing kids across town. I mean, kids have to take an hour and a half to get to school. And it's just not good for these communities. And it's not good for these kids to have to go through this process. It's not helping. Um, we're not doing this the right way. And it goes back to the whole charter versus public, and, and which is the best approach. Which, by the way, charters are public schools. Correct. Yeah. But I guess definition of public. Yeah. I yeah. guess uh, what type of public. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, and so th- that ongoing conversation... And from that, you get these racially charged arguments, and Appel was offended because uh, the Democrat from New Orleans made something, some sort of a remark about it being a black issue. Mm-hmm. And then there was the argument from Appel that, look, if you had a better economy in Louisiana, and particularly in New Orleans, That's what he you were said. creating jobs, yeah. then you wouldn't have all these kids that were out in the streets and doing these sorts of things. So it was this kind of back and forth, kind of just bloodletting. Um, and the representative started to... <laughs> back up a little bit off of what he had said. Right. Not, not. I don't think he knew that Appel was going to... Go in that direction? Yeah, and take it that intensely as an insult, as a personal insult. Right. And, you know, I think he called it BS or something. And yeah. yeah. And so it's it's interesting. You don't, you rarely see that. Now, you see some at least, arguments... At least in public. At, in public. I mean, behind the scenes, I've, I've heard stories about even knock down drag outs between members of the house and the governor because he gives as good as he gets um, and people yeah, never get to see the it the governor apparently has a bit of a tongue he, he yeah and a little bit of a temper yeah. and so i mean and i'm talking about not just him he and republicans i mean he and fellow democrats they'll 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 tie up over issues yeah. which actually that doesn't bother me because these are big important things and sometimes people are going to disagree and argue yeah and they're grown people they, yeah. can, they can do what they do the argument for, against the silliness though is often how we don't accomplish anything. We go through this, this, go through the theatrics of these things, and then we end with nothing. Like this special session Correct. that was all of that, and we ended up right where we started when the session began. Except for two small bills that had nothing to do with the budget shortfall. 
Um, and I mean, one of the bills helps flood victims, and there's right. something involving. Uh, I think it was one of them had to do with uh, helping deaf people to to understand and participate in in uh, debates and conversations at the Capitol. So, not belittling those; those are very important. But um, yeah, I mean, we we it becomes a cycle drama where, mm-hmm. it, and and we have now seen this several times play out, where you have the first special session, and you argue and you argue and you you bloodlet, and then you all come back because, as Ted James said to me one time, this body doesn't act when they see smoke; they only smoke uh, only act when they see fire. Which is a very good analogy and also very startling because it's true and it's been true for a very, very long time. Uh, looking at this special session or this regular session that is likely going to end a bit early so they can squeeze in another special. At least special. That's the plan. What has been, tell people where we are now in this session, what's going on, and what they should likely expect as an outcome. Well, it's it's we're getting to the point where it's questionable what exactly of any degree of importance is actually going to pass. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that seems to be moving along, well, there are two bills. One has to do with the juries, uh, or sorry, excuse me, the jury and whether or not you have to have a complete unanimous jury in terms of certain convictions, yeah. which is a big deal. Because yeah. Louisiana is one, I think, of two states that still allows 10 out of 12 mm-hmm. as opposed to all 12. Um, so that's maybe one bill that might actually get through to the desk. That's important. Um, there's also some sexual harassment legislation that there are some disagreements over um, exactly how far those bills should go. That uh, The final one bill that's kind of in motion uh, by Barbara Carpenter here in Baton Rouge, a Democrat, mm-hmm. um, hers is going to the Senate floor after some confusion about uh, how much information be released publicly. But at the end of the day, it basically would require um, all state agencies to develop policies, uh, and require training for all employees and do annual reports. Some want to see it go further and create more of a universal standard across the executive branch in terms mm-hmm. of policies. Um, that's more of a Sharon Hewitt idea, a senator from uh, Slidell. Um, and so that it, there will likely be amendments, and the bill will probably change a little bit more. But that bill at least seems to be on a trajectory to also passing. Then there's a grab bag of stuff that really, quite honestly, it's questionable whether or not it's going to get there. The governor's agenda was not very... Uh, didn't have really a big headline to it necessarily. You, you saw him doing. Actually, minimum. I don't know what what I, I don't know what else his agenda is outside of trying to deal with the budget, but, right? Yeah. And, and which he can't even technically do yeah. during the session anyway, yeah. um, in terms of fixing the yeah. whole. And um, there was uh, some education stuff that got pushed aside. The the thing that he touted at one point was removing licenses from small certain small business sort of related issues such as florist. Um, apparently Louisiana is one of, I think, is either the only or one of two states in the country that requires a license to be a florist. Um, and so that bill is at least gotten through to the Senate now, got through the House. Um, the book of crap that we have to deal with. Random. It <laughs> there's an ongoing argument over whether, oh, well, but if you don't regulate this, or you're going to have bad florists. And the lawmaker in response said, well, then they just won't be able to sell flowers. That's and exactly people right. People won't buy from yeah. them. Yeah. And so there's that kind of ongoing argument there, um, and they would still be inspected. They could they would still have to pay some sort of fee to get. Oh, the, there's always a fee. Yes, yeah, so the Department of Agriculture would still be able to come in and do inspections in case there were bad yeah. flowers and poisonous yeah. things that are growing. Um, so that still exists. Um, but anyway, so that one's on to the Senate now. Who the hell but, came up with that one? Honestly, I don't know. The bill is sponsored by Julie Emerson, um, a Republican from I think the Lafayette area. Um, Buy some bad she, flowers, did she, or something? No, no, no. She wants to get rid of the license. Okay, good. All right. Um, okay. And so, she, but good. it's backed by the governor, and there's also a task force or something to that 
effect to review licenses because we love task force. And so expect more licensing bills down the road. But we that, should start a task that, force there, right, for right. A task force to the point of having a task That's force. Right. A task force to investigate how many task force there are, which there are way too many. At any rate, the um, or and you have task force like the, the TOPS task force. They didn't come out with a recommendation. They right. came out with a list of ideas. There you go. And then my favorite thing, that was an entertaining moment, was in house education... Um, they were talking about a TOPS bill, and someone asked on the Education Committee whether or not this bill was on the task force report. You're on the Education <laughs> Committee. Maybe you should read the report, um, especially if you knew you were going to be talking about a TOPS bill. <laughs> uh, just an idea. And the report was maybe five pages long, so we're not talking in-depth reading. Too many words. But one of my frustrations at the Capitol is you know, reading. At any rate... Um, yeah, not even. And by the way, there's a thing in a bill called the digest. Oh, you could read that. It's summation two pages long. <laughs> right, it's a summation. You don't have to read fifty pages of a bill. And mm-hmm. I just, it's, it's. Now, sometimes it's actually helpful to go into the bill to see how it all fits Well, yeah, but I mean, so, if but, you if you yeah. want the top of the wave yeah, of what's quick, going on, read you that. read it. But I mean, and the way the bills are, some of the language is so archaic still, yeah. but you know. So the licensing yeah. stuff is moving along. Some of it is. Other stuff got shoved aside. We didn't want to go too far with removing licenses. and uh, But that's part of the governor's agenda. But his other points were kind of the typical things we've seen. At least the big headlines are like minimum wage boost, which yeah. is out on the vine, dying. And then um, equal pay also pushed aside. So mm-hmm. that was kind of the extent of the governor's agenda. There were some other smaller items as well, but those were kind of the major headlines that really kind of have more of a wide widespread impact. Um, and so it is just kind of this grab bag. Some reactionary stuff. You had like a dozen gun-related measures that yeah. have all kind of been pushed aside. The governor said he was against um, arming teachers, so those bills quickly disappeared. Um, and then you had other efforts of, of regulating assault weapons and things like that. But in a very conservative House committee, criminal justice that's in charge of those bills, those mm-hmm. were all pushed aside as well. Right. Um, and, and so that was all in response. A bump stock bill also pushed aside. Yeah. Um, which obviously we all know where those are coming from, Parkland, sure. Las Vegas, yeah. things of that yeah. nature. Yeah. Um, trying to think what other stuff I wrote down a list of like what little tiny things are going on here. Um, the death penalty bill came back up again. There's more conversation about that, and, and um, it, it has gotten pushed aside. But it was interesting watching that debate in committee because it became a religious debate with both sides citing the Bible in their reasoning for why there should or should not be the death penalty. Yeah, that's always a good thing. Um, and so the uh, you had Terry Landry basically using Jesus as an example of someone who was uh, unjustifiably put to death. Um, and then at the same time, you had uh, Valerie Hodges, a, a Republican from Denham Springs. So Terry Landry, former uh, com- uh, colonel, head of superintendent of state police, is in support of getting mm-hmm. rid of the death penalty. Uh, Valerie Hodges, a Republican from uh, Denham Springs, said, well, I can find 30 places in the Bible where the death penalty is prescribed using that as a justification for keeping it. Um, and so there's this back and forth, and it became very religious. They weren't talking about how much it cost or how often there is accuracy in uh, people being put to death and whether or not they're actually guilty of the crime itself. Um, and so those arguments were presented, but quickly it became a, a debate over the Bible and the Ten Commandments and references. Well, you realize we call our counties parishes here. True. Right? So, fair enough. Yeah, fair so enough. There, there um, is that, Kevin. You know, you know religion and, and government and, you know— a different conversation. Anyway, but the um, and, and but the so, good news is you're going to Washington. Yeah, well, there's plenty of that. Uh, but there is uh, so it was just it, it, that committee was rather remarkable. That yeah. bill has been pushed aside, but the conversation continues, and I think it it was I think taken more seriously this year than last year. So it seems that bill 
will keep coming up and mm-hmm. could get somewhere, but it has a lot of interesting backer, backer, uh, backers yeah. and kind of strange bedfellows because you have Dan Clater who's making, very much making the argument kind of based on a Catholic um, thou shalt not kill sort of mentality and, uh, and the sanctity of life. And so there's these weird machinations on that bill, but I can see that coming back up again. Terry Landry says he's going to. Um, so that conversation continues. Um, and then there's the gambling stuff. <laughs> Um, which is all very you much mean gaming because yeah, gambling. gambling is illegal in Louisiana, Kevin. Correct. Gaming though is very much allowed. Very much allowed. Um, those bills are stalled. By uh, the way, if y'all can tell us what the hell the difference is, please let us know. We'll buy you lunch. Exactly. Uh, gaming is or gaming. Now I'm going to say it. Gambling <laughs> is uh, has been stalled as well yes. in the Senate. Yes. The effort to remove the boats that are not moving and right. never actually sail on land is stuck <laughs> in the Senate. Um, Which, by the way, folks, it is illegal to have gaming on the ground in Louisiana unless it is on Native American land. Correct. And they, of course, some truck stuff stuff as well. That's right. And those Native American families have become wealthy in perpetuity because of the land lease. And, you know, you've got people who are from all kinds of places saying that they're one point something eighth, you know, Catahoula. But. It, but it, but so you have places that put lakes in <laughs> so they can put a boat on it right. or put put boats on the Mississippi River that don't sail, mind you. They're just on the water. Or you have a paddle wheel in the middle of the building <laughs> just because it needs to have a paddle wheel. It needs to have a paddle wheel, also part of That's, the legislation. This, and so you... <laughs> So this they this they, this was brought to Louisiana for the purpose of we're going to fund schools and help education. <clears throat> and It was supposed to be this romantic well, idea of you yeah. get on a paddle, paddle boat and... You know, play Mark Twain and go up and down the Mississippi mm-hmm. River and, and gamble your your mm-hmm. days away, um, and so that that bill stalled. There's a bunch of other gambling legislation. It, it, Melinda Delot, Associated Press reporter, who I respect immensely beyond belief, um, basically described it as one person came forward and said, "Okay, we're going to look at the riverboats," and then every other gambling entity came through and said, "Well, we need to do something too to expand our or, or do something with our gambling." But basically, anything that's defined as an expansion of gambling in the state has been sidelined or or stopped or stalled throughout the course of this process. So. Gambling is kind of also iffy as to where whether or not it's going to get anywhere. They front-loaded a lot of bills because they're trying to rush to get everything done, and now we're kind of at the stalling period. Um, and the only other, thing, only other thing that's kind of noteworthy that I could scramble down as I was putting stuff together this morning um, was the abortion bill that is mm-hmm. up in – that got through Senate committee, but its fate beyond that is unclear. It's the 15-week abortion ban right. that is parallel to what they're doing in Mississippi – that bill, by the way, has already, or that law has already been blocked by a federal judge, yeah. and there's going to be lawsuits and lots of money spent because it's 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 legal, uh, right. Nationally, correct. And so the uh, Democrat John Milkovich from the Shreveport area mm-hmm. is um, sponsoring this bill. The governor has said he would be inclined to sign it if it lands on his desk, but mm-hmm. it depends on what the final language looks like. Who looks is famously like. a Catholic, correct? Yes. Um, and but in committee, the argument was over. There was the fear of unintended consequences that if they enacted this bill, what if Roe v. Wade gets overturned? Which mm-hmm. who knows when that right. would ever happen. But if that got overturned, would Louisiana fall back on its original law, which bans abortion altogether? Mm-hmm. Or would it fall back on this 15-week ban, which would then still allow I mean, abortion? Roe is 1973, I yeah. think, and so it, it would take a lot for that yeah. to be reversed. Well, no, and then, the, the Supreme Court is kind of changing its dynamics right now, especially right. in a time period like this. And yeah. 
Uh, depends on if anyone else drops, if they'll be replaced by a more conservative bench. It's already a conservative body, generally speaking. But L- last last area of discussion here mm-hmm. is about the the possibility of a constitutional convention. We've referenced the state constitution a few times. What about that? There is a push. I have not heard a lot about it since. Um, there there has been a push to at least study the idea of a constitutional mm-hmm. convention, look into the idea of it, and it's gained traction over the past couple of years as we have seen this ongoing fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's also a sense of how extensively would you open up the constitution? Would you um, completely rewrite the whole thing and start Oof, from scratch? Or terrifying. would you go through and just deal with the things that are related to budgetary measures? Yeah. Because when you look at the constitution, it has been amended so many times yes. that it becomes convoluted and it kind of interferes, at least the argument goes, in terms of how many, how much money has been kind of amended to mm. it must go to this. Like well over a hundred times. Uh huh. And so it yeah. becomes more and more complicated. Now the argument in committee that I heard that was kind of amusing the other day is, well, I mean the federal constitution has been amended like thirty times over such and such so many years, and I'm like, you realize a federal amendment is much more difficult to pass because it That's, involves a bunch of states getting yeah, involved and everyone right. has to agree, as opposed to just you know the right. vote of the people. But right. that neither here nor there. How about um, one idea? Be able to talk about budgetary issues every year and not just in every other year. There has been bills brought forward that did that. Julie Stokes had one this year. Yeah. J.P. Morella had one either last year or two years ago, and those have not really gotten anywhere. Which is ridiculous. The argument I heard from Cameron Henry when I asked him about it, I think two years ago, was, well, we need time to see what the tax bills do. We don't want to just keep raising taxes every year. Um, at least that was his argument, if I remember correctly, because I asked him about it one time. You know, it, al- it, al- it doesn't always have to deal with raising taxes. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes it's in a situation like this. It's dealing with budget. If, and you, if, would, you could save millions. Of well, dollars. and that's the thing, because if, if they were able to deal with budgetary issues in the regular and not wait for the fiscal session, then we wouldn't have to have as many special sessions because they cannot deal with these financial matters during this session of the legislature. Correct. And I think, again, that saves money. But. It's politics, and politics and logic are not exactly kissing cousins. Correct. And so now we are kind of entering in um, to the, the budget portion of the session. because, yeah. um, and, and now this is, I think, where the, the focus now shifts to the yeah. budget. Um, we know the whole is now $650 million. It's just, will anyone be willing to do that, and will there be enough votes to do anything like that? And it seems there's not, and the governor's already said he's going to veto any sort of budget that would take into account those sorts of things. So it seems we are heading toward a special session. It's just a matter of time uh, and when and who and what and where. So I'm sure you even in D.C., you're going to miss all of this. Oh, I will be following. I will be following. And then, of course, we have the gubernatorial election coming up, and so I, I'm already planning my uh, popcorn uh, sitting, watching on the couch, oh, watching man. those debates, man. depending on how that turns out. So we're likely to have John Kennedy in that, and of course Governor Edwards is going to run again. And so then there's also the speculation about Jeff Landry and I Abraham. I think Jeff is running. And so I'm just picturing debates between presumably the governor and one of those three and yeah. just find it incredibly amusing. Oh, it's going to be something. It's going to be something. Well, listen, man, I've enjoyed our time working together on on pieces for television. And I mean, sitting with someone who enjoys this stuff as much as I do <laughs> is always because we could go three hours talking about this and the personalities and, and all of the clicks that are inside of the clicks and, yeah. you know, in the in the house. But it's great. How can people find you on social media? So the best place is, uh, well, I don't know what my Twitter handle is going to be once I leave WAFB. But currently, it's Kevin WAFB at yeah. Kevin WAFB. Um, I might be changing that in a couple of days, possibly. Um, and then also, I have a, a Facebook page that's I think Kevin. If you do Facebook.com, I think it's slash Kevin Fry yeah. TV or something yeah. like that. Um, but I'll be 
I post there, but uh, yeah, so uh, Twitter Twitter is probably your safest bet. I'm not as much of a Facebook person because I find Twitter to be more uh, real time, which is what I enjoy doing as opposed to other stuff. <laughs> it's it's fascinating because Twitter is like reading a ticker. I mean, uh-huh. it's, it's a little bit different. Facebook is a lot more social and often ridiculous. But, but you Not know. that Twitter isn't. But Well, yeah. Way. Well, you know. Everybody, uh, well, we won't even go there. So, brother, I appreciate it, man. Great uh, luck to you, and Thank I know you you're going to kill it in D.C. And my next time up there, which should be in a few weeks, I'll, I'll give Get you a up. yell, man. We'll, we'll grab a coffee or something. That'd be great, man. Kevin Fry. This is Dr. Mary Catherine Roderick, and I'm Katie Fetzer. We're the owners and co-founders of The Wellness Studio, a mental health practice with locations here in Baton Rouge and Covington. We are also your host for The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com. Our podcast is a journey into the world of mental health. On our show, we're going to discuss some of the various forms of mental health conditions. We're also going to shed light on the various ways our listeners can get a better understanding of how the mind works and why we do what we do. So subscribe today to get The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 1073 mobile app. Clay Young here with Brian Lowe with Brian Lowe Financial. Brian, let's think about someone nearing retirement who may not have a financial plan and could be flirting with disaster with so many things that could pop up in your life. What would you say to that person? Well, you know, how about a lot of the guys who work in the plants? Mm-hmm. You know, they show up at seven o'clock in the morning uh, on time, you yeah. know, check out at three or four in the afternoon, yeah. or they work the night shift. You know, they, they're, they've been doing that for 30 years. They don't have a real plan. They don't know when they can retire. You know why I know that? Because their buddy's coming and tell me that. Right. I might help one out of 10 of those guys. He's trying to say, hey, I got 10 guys that need, need the same thing, but I mm-hmm. can't get them to come in to see you. Why? You know, when they retire, they jump right into it. They figure out, hey, they're lost. Let's get you found. Let's figure out what direction you should take. Income planning is the most important thing today. Let's put together a detailed plan to figure out how much income you need to retire on now. Brian has offices in Baton Rouge, Mandeville, and New Orleans. He's helped people all over Louisiana. Give him a call and learn more about his team at brianlowfinancial.com. This is The Clay Young Show on podcast225.com. It's pretty amazing when you think about some of what goes on in local government here, huh? Some of the things behind the scene and then that idea... Or, or me talking about an idea, how one idea that someone comes up with or some plan someone comes up with can become reality by going through this fairly fascinating process. It's, it's something that we should all pay attention to. Unfortunately, the, the freak show dumpster fire nature of politics has got so much of our attention right now that we, we kind of miss the real business that needs to be talked about. And it just it's the case all over, local, state, and national Again, it's rubbernecking by a dumpster fire as opposed to paying attention to some of the stuff that's going on that really should get our attention. You know, it's been that way for a little while. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at ClayYoungBR on Facebook forward slash ClayYoung. Of course, uh, you can email me as well. The email address is clay at podcast 225 dot com clay at podcast two two five dot com in fact i think it was i get emails from people asking about shows and subject matter or people commenting on things that we've talked about on the show and i always appreciate those comments from people and i try to answer every email sometimes it takes me a couple days to get back to those emails mostly because you know there's There's a lot in the inbox. 
on the business side, but I got one last week that I thought was was very, very nice from a lady who talked about being a new listener to the podcast. She actually found me or or saw me on the uh, TV with coverage of the Alton Sterling shooting. And I thought I had the email here to share with you. Maybe I'll get that and share it with you next week. But it was it was very, very nice. And again, you can you can email me. And like I said, I try to respond to everyone immediately. Sometimes it takes me a couple of days to be able to do that. Just it's it's the nature of the beast. But uh, I appreciate it. I appreciate all you guys who listen and share posts about the podcast. It's kind of what we want to do is take you behind the scenes on things that happen here in the state, things that happen with state government. And, you know, it's important. And then being able to have people like Kevin who are there coming in and talking with us about it, man, that's I think that's a service that we get to provide. And there are more shows coming. So. We are working on some shows with the Baton Rouge Business Report right now. And so they're going to be doing a podcast. And we're, also, we're already in the initial stages of setting that up. And so hopefully there'll be some details about that in the coming weeks and, and in what fashion that's going to happen. And there's a couple of other groups that we're talking to about doing shows. So, yeah, we're going to fatten out the roster here on podcast225.com, my show, and of course, the Waiting Room podcast that is on hiatus now after Mary Catherine is a new mother. And so they'll be coming back soon with a brand new episode, and I'm looking forward to that. And with that, you guys have a fantastic day wherever you are. If you're on the highway listening to the show, be safe. Keep it between the lines. Stay awake. We'll catch you next week on The Clay Young Show here on podcast225.com. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.